Good morning and welcome to Jew in the City Speaks with your host Allison Josephs, also known as Jew in the City. Um, once a year we have an annual campaign at Jew in the City and if you are a listener today for the first time or a long time listener, um, we are asking you today to um, give back, uh, to acknowledge the inspiration and the positive information that we put out there. Um, and you don't have to feel like the contribution that you give is uh, life-changing or uh, will fund our entire organization. Um, we just want to know that you're out there, that you're listening, that you feel part of what we're doing, and that you have some hakar satov, some gratitude for the work that we put in to curate content um, that we work so hard to do. Um, and if you've listened before, you know that our mission is to reverse negative associations about religious Jews and to make uh, an engaging and meaningful Orthodox Judaism known and accessible. You can head on over to our website, JewInTheCity.com. Our annual campaign is going on right now, um, and we would really appreciate whatever you can give, even a few dollars, lets us know that you're out there, because frankly, we have no idea who's out there. We can see numbers and metrics of how many you know, tens of thousands of people come each month, how many hundreds of thousands of people consume our content each year. Um, we know of the hundreds of people at Project Makom who grew up with negative experiences in the religious Jewish world who are coming to us to rediscover something new and positive. We, we see those numbers, but we don't know your stories up close. So when you log on to JewInTheCity.com and hit the donate button, um, we know that you're there and you're letting us know that you're there and that you, you hear us, that we're there. Um, and sort of to continue along our mission of reversing negative associations about religious Jews, um, we have a really fascinating couple with us here today. Um, this couple um, has a pretty cool story to, uh, finding their way back to observance. Um, and I think they're looking to get the story out to as many people as possible. When someone leaves Judaism, leaves Jewish observance, all they have to do is write a memoir or reach out to the media. And it's quite easy for their story to just get a ton of attention. Um, you know, we spend so much effort trying to get the media to pick up positive stories and positive angles. And I know people from, you know, the ex-religious world who actually have media coming after them to look to tell the story. So it's a very uneven playing field. Um, there's been very few, uh, you know, memoirs written for Balchula stories. Um, but these stories are so inspiring. Um, and especially for the couple that we're going to speak to today, um, Ari Blau and Vanessa Alrici, who are to married today, um, they were kind of at the height of what uh, sort of American society says is considered success. They were working in Hollywood, Ari as a producer um, on a late night TV show and uh, Vanessa as an actress. Um, and despite being there and sort of quote unquote having it all, um, they both discovered that it wasn't all. So, Ari and Vanessa, thank you so much for uh, joining us today. Thank you for having us. Thank you so much for having us. So let's uh, jump right in. So tell us, um, for each of you, where did your lives begin, both in terms of um, your location, your Jewish observance, your Jewish practice, your Jewish education? It's a great question. Um, so, it's a, it's a it's a longer story, but in short, um, I guess I'll, I'll answer first that I grew up um, in New Jersey. I grew up in a town called Cape May. It's all the way South Jersey, and my mom uh, raised my older brother, my two younger sisters, and I 
in a conservative home. So we did actually, I did know, you know, about, you know, certain Jewish holidays and we did keep Shabbos to what we thought we were keeping Shabbos. Um, and my mom actually sent my siblings and I to a Jewish day school growing up near Atlantic City. So for half the day I did have Hebrew studies um, that I was learning. Um, but it was around the time of my bar mitzvah where I realized everyone keeps saying that now you're going to become a man, now things matter. And at the temple, the synagogue that I was getting my bar mitzvah, I asked the rabbi, what does that mean? Uh, you know, everyone says things matter. What does that mean? And I didn't quite sit well with me when he answered back. Um, kind of said, you know, some some people do this, some people do that, but, you know, as long as you're a good person, that's what really matters. Mm-hmm. And I just felt like, I don't know, like, that, as a 13-year-old or as a 12-year-old, I felt like that was just a, a very off answer because everybody has their own perspective of what's a good person. Mm-hmm. So I remember asking one of the teachers who actually came from Lakewood to teach half the day um, what, uh, what, you know, this means, that I'm becoming a man, things matter, and she said, why don't you just come to Lakewood? Ask your mom if you can come spend Shabbos in Lakewood. And I did, and from then on it kind of um, sparked, a, I guess, a fire uh, in me. I started, like, keeping kosher. You know, I wouldn't eat out with my family. I started going to Lakewood for more Shabbosim. Uh, I was really inspired, and, and and I really started, I guess you would say, like, quote-unquote, growing. Um, the school that I was going to, uh, obviously, it wasn't a religious school, so it wouldn't have been ideal to keep going there anyway, but that school closed, and I was given an opportunity to go uh, to yeshiva, um, to an Orthodox yeshiva uh, near Philadelphia, and I opted um, not to do it because at that time, my father had left my family. My parents mm-hmm. were already divorced, but it was a hard time when my dad um, left. I hadn't seen him since I was 13 years old. I don't know where he is, but... Uh, it was very difficult, so I felt like I needed to be home with my mom. So I went to public school, and I guess you can guess the end of the story. The second you know you go into public school, thinking, I thought you know I'll just uh, go to public school, and then after four years of public school, I'll just go learn Torah, and that doesn't work. You know, you you assimilate very fast, and I was bullied, so I kind of dropped everything, and then I went on to college. I went to NYU film school, and. You know, and after college, I started working in, in the entertainment industry, and and I really had no connection with my Yiddishkeit at all. I was not connecting. To, I wasn't doing anything. It kind of felt like that was something that passed. It, I could have taken advantage of it, but I didn't, and it wasn't for me anymore. So um, just in like terms of this, like, this first, this um, teacher that invited you to go to Lakewood for Shabbos, um, did you have any? I guess, sort of negative ideas or associations with sort of what sort of the Orthodox or the ultra-Orthodox community represented at that point, meaning you went to a Jewish day school that wasn't that religious, and you seem to be an inquisitive kid, but um, did you have, and maybe this, not everyone is raised with it, I was certainly raised with sort of negative associations with the religious community. Yeah, um, it's a great question. I my mom grew up in like a, an Orthodox home, like a modern Orthodox home, and um, and so and I had my grandma. Um, she should rest in peace. She was she was Orthodox, um, and my great grandmother was like, you know, extremely like you know, diving three times a day and oh, you know, walking a couple miles to shul. Like, so I I, I was exposed to it somewhat. And there was never anything, like, negative. I was never, like, told, like, you know, these people are this or these people are that. I don't think I was really just, you know, 
shown what I was I was ready to see when I walked into Lakewood. And I remember davening in like the BMG that Friday night with this teacher's husband, and I was just like blown away. There was like you know what what seemed to me to be like thousands of people dressed in white shirts, black hats, and I had never seen something like that before. But what really caught me was the fact that you know how these people treated their family members, how they treated other people. It was just an amazing environment. So I was really attracted to it, and I wanted to go back and learn more. But I was never exposed to, like, you know, these people are, you know, bad or watch out for this. I never mm-hmm. I never heard that. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so Ness, because I'm saying your English name is Vanessa, but you go by Ness. Is that Hebrew, or that's a shortened for Vanessa? Um, I, so that's my Hebrew name. That's my given Hebrew name. Um, so that's what I go by right now. But my stage name when I was an actress was Vanessa L. Grichi. Got it. So tell us a little bit about um, where you started off, where you were raised, um, what your Jewish connection was like. So um, I thank you again for having us. Um, this is very fun. Um, and I hope that it inspires other people. Um, I started acting at the age eight years old, and um, I grew up in, like, a traditional Sephardi home, so I was exposed to Shabbat, and I was exposed to going to shul and and things growing up, but I wasn't, like, fully kosher, I wasn't keeping Shabbos, like, we, you know, just the traditional type of home, Sephardi. So um, my parents thought I was cute, and they started to... Um, take me out on auditions. So I grew up in Los Angeles and like, there's, you know, Hollywood. So that's where, where these things take place. So my parents, they took me on auditions starting at eight years old. And, and I booked a few roles on TV shows. Um, some of the shows where everybody loves Raymond and, uh, the X-Files. So I started my acting career very young and, and I didn't, um, I guess I, you could say I didn't really have, like, a choice to decide what I wanted to do because that's what I was introduced to as a, a young child. So mm-hmm. I watched a lot of TV growing up, and I became obsessed with becoming a famous actress. And <laughs> um, uh, I didn't have any exposure to anything um, religious, I guess you could say. As I grew up... Uh, I would go on auditions in Los Angeles and I would drive to my acting classes and I would see people, um, Orthodox Jews, wearing black hats, walking to shul on a Saturday night, on a Saturday night and morning. And I said to myself, like, they're Jewish, but they're not Jewish like me. And I didn't understand what the, like, what the difference was because now I know, like, everybody, you're a Jew, you're a Jew. Everybody's a Jew. That we're the same. We're equal. So I didn't have much exposure to anything um, past the point of of that. Are you so? If you say you're smart growing up in Los Angeles, is it safe to assume that you come from a Persian background? No, I'm Moroccan. Got it. Okay, I thought there was a good chance. Um, so okay, so then, <laughs> so you sort of had that. Some traditional background, and you seem to sort of notice the people that um, were more observant. So then, what changed for you? What um, at what point did you go from just continuing your life and 
being in Hollywood and then realizing that maybe it was time to change? So I went on Birthright. Um, I was about 26 years old when I went on it. And I experienced, um, the trip wasn't a religious trip. It was like a very fun trip, an outgoing, adventurous trip. And when we went to the hotel, we got to go twice. One of the times was on Friday night. And I experienced something I never experienced, and I didn't know what the hotel was. I didn't know anything about it. And I had, like, this, like, um bone-chilling feeling, like from my head to my toes, I felt something, and I started to cry, um, so I wanted to look deeper into that feeling, and when I came back from Birthright, I started to, like, think I was keeping Shabbos, but we were just doing Shabbos with, like, the TV on and driving. I, I didn't know any anything about halachas or anything like that back then, but I thought, like, I felt more connected to Judaism, but I still continued with my same lifestyle, and I continued to act um, and audition for movies and TV shows. Um, it wasn't until I, I met Ari, and he, um, he'll tell you his part of this story, but he was learning with a, a rabbi who connected us with um, Rabbi Alex Landa, who runs a program called LAJ, and it's a cure program, and you get to go to Israel for free, and you learn before you go. So since we got to learn for 10 weeks before we went, I started to grow closer and closer to Judaism and, and learn more about it and fall in love with it. All right, so now take me back, Ari. So take me back how you got there. So we stopped off that you are um, in high school. You have gotten off track, you did not get to your goal of going to Shiva, you uh, got into the world of Hollywood, and you must have been talented, so what, you know, I guess tell us a little bit about um, how you ended up as a producer um, with uh, James Corden, because lots of people want to do that, and many people don't, so um, what do you think made you stand out to, you know, kind of succeed in that way? It's a great question. So, I remember when I got into high school, and I started getting bullied, um, you know, I walked in the first day with a keep on my head and sit this on and, you know, that you stand out when you go into a, a school of 1,500 kids and you're the only Jewish kid in the whole school. So the keeper came off real real fast and the tzitzis I tucked in and then eventually they came off. I realized that, you know, people were going to see them when I changed in gym class, so that, that came off too. But I I really developed a knack for comedy and um, and I said, if I'm going to make it through high school, I need to be able to make people laugh. So I started just telling jokes and and trying to make light of the situation. So I would, you know, kids would throw pennies at me when I would walk home, and I would tell them that if you throw quarters, it'll hurt more, and it'll also help me because I'll be able to get a snack at lunch. Um, just like th things I would say, but I remember watching a lot of Adam Sandler movies in um, in high school and started thinking, if if this guy... Adam Sandler can make tons of movies with his friends. He basically just looks like he like has fun with his friends, making people laugh, and that's his job. I could do that. I have friends. I think we're funny. So we just started making little movies, little you know videos, putting them on YouTube, making you know little clips. And when I was in college, I started doing stand. What? What year was that? That's in high school, um, and towards the and towards the beginning of college, I still kept doing it. 
Um, oh, but I'm saying, and, well, and what I started year, to like. I know what year in like. Oh, uh, what year? Uh, it was 2000, 2007, two, yeah, 2007, 2000, I graduated high school 2008. Got it. All right, so that was actually um, when, like, our videos, we started putting videos up on YouTube around 2005, 2006, so that was really, the, the space was a lot emptier at that point. Okay, so you're putting, was, yeah. you're putting uh, YouTube videos up with your buddies in high school, you go to college, and you major, what's your major? My major was filmmaking, and I studied at NYU. And and a, actually, I had two uh, two opportunities in college. I was working at uh, Jimmy Fallon when he had the late night, and said he didn't have the Tonight Show at the time. And I and uh, I also had an opportunity to work on, at Comedy Central with the Daily Show with John Stewart. Yeah. And I remember the last day at John Stewart, um, I asked John a question. I, I said, what advice would you have for a young comedian like myself? I was doing stand-up comedy at the time and still working on videos. And, and he looked at me and he said, the only way to succeed is to not have a plan B. So I wrote that quote down, the only way to succeed is to not have a plan B. And I really like lived, started living my life with that mantra that if it worked for John, then it's got to work for me. I just have to stick stick with it and keep making connections and and uh, eventually I, I made the move to L.A., to Hollywood. I drove across country. And uh, through a friend of mine, a lot of these jobs happened through connections. Um, I, I, was, uh, I was given the opportunity to work at the Late Late Show with James Corden at CBS. Mm-hmm. And I, re- I wasn't hired as a producer. I was hired as a production assistant, which is like a very low entry-level position. Mm-hmm. And I just kept going to the executive producers, telling them, like, hey, I think I'm funny, you should read these jokes. I could help out doing other things. I don't think I should just be getting the coffee. And I, in the beginning, they, they were kind of annoyed by me, but eventually you know, they, they gave in, and I started producing the Carpool Karaoke's, and then I was uh, promoted to be one of the writers for the monologue. Very cool. So, okay, so you're doing this. You're, you've essentially achieved your dream in life um, to you know, make it in Hollywood. Um, so then what what changes? Why does the Jewish stuff um, approach you again? Similar to what my wife said, um, I, I, I really wanted to go to Israel, so I did go on a birthright trip. But before I decided that, I also felt like the more I was working with celebrities, the more I was realizing something's off with them. So, you know, it wasn't every single celebrity, but it was an overwhelming majority. I was working very closely with them, and whether they were just, like, mean to people behind set or whether they were, um, you know, doing all types of, I don't know, drugs or alcohol, drinking, like, you know, it's not, it's not like a secret that, like, stuff goes on in Hollywood that um, you wouldn't want to get involved in. And, uh, and so... I started thinking, well, if everybody wants to be James Corden, everybody wants to be, like, a celebrity. Like, they want to be famous, all the people at the bottom. But these people who are famous really don't want to be who they are. You know, they would never say it, but you could tell by their actions. Like, they're kind of upset with maybe the the choice that they've made. Um, But they don't know how to get out of it. Like, it's really the end game. Is Is that really, like, you know, that's it? We're all working to be miserable, famous, rich people? So 
I said, okay, I, maybe I'll, I'll find an answer in Israel. I don't know what answer I was looking for. I just felt like you know, I was so far away from that feeling when I was younger, but I felt maybe I'd find something. And like my wife said, when I went to Israel, I felt something at the Kotel. I also didn't know what it was. I, hadn't, I didn't know, you know what it played in our Jewish history. I was never taught that, really. But uh, I felt something, and I don't think at the time I knew I even had a neshama. But, um, but now, looking back, I realized what that feeling was. And when I got back to Los Angeles after the birthright trip, I, I said, I, I have to explore this. I have to figure out you know, what that feeling was and, and act on it. And so then you connected with this program that, uh, that Ness mentioned. Yeah, through, through a connection, um, someone introduced me to this, this rabbi, um, and I started learning. Like, I wasn't a part of the Cure of Organization, per se, because I kept saying that work's not going to give me off time to go on another Israel trip. I just went on birthright. But I felt yeah. like, okay, I'll, I'll learn on the side, and I really enjoyed it wasn't like people say like well, well this rabbi showed up with like you know books and safarim and was it intimidating and like our first meeting it was just you know a conversation about life it wasn't intimidating at all and then when I met my wife um, at the time I said uh, you know I'm learning with this rabbi and I started spending you know Shabbosim, um I started spending Shabbos in this neighborhood called Hancock Park you know maybe you should come try it out she was feeling the same thing and from there she started coming and and then actually in order to go on the israel trip it was a 15-day trip i got noticed that james corden booked a movie and that the entire office was going to be off and those exact dates were the same dates that rabbi landa was taking the trip to israel so i thought there were coincidences at the time but i realized now there's none it's all hashem mm-hmm. so okay so then this trip got you even more sparked you did more learning so you both now have left Hollywood. Um, so I guess the question is, and I've never been in Hollywood, so I, I don't, I mean, other than hearing how awful some people are, <laughs> um, could you have done both? I Probably acting would have been harder. Um, and especially, um, you know, it seems like for women, uh, Sneas is not really anything that has any regard in Hollywood. But how about... Um, like working behind the scenes as a producer, is that something that you are, have you left that forever? Um, did you leave that temporarily? Like what are your thoughts about sort of making that balance? So um, funny, we came back from the LAJ Israel trip and I said to myself, how can I be from in Hollywood? Am I going to be the first from actress in Hollywood? Like I wanted to hold on to this dream and like keep pursuing it and just be this, Sneas actress, and I thought it would be like such a great, cool idea, um, was a little bit naive of me at the time. I had gotten off the plane and um, received my biggest break ever. Uh, one of the biggest Hollywood managers emailed me and wanted to sign me. Um, he like he he was such a big manager that he only had celebrities as clients, only twenty four of them. And I was, like, this nobody to him at the time. Like, I I had booked a few roles from when I was a child, but none of that would be in comparison to being one of his clients that were celebrities. So um, I was really excited about this opportunity, and I had just decided to keep kosher and keep Shabbos, and 
our first meeting, I told him um, that I was keeping Shabbos. And he was, like, very excited about working with me. At the time, I had just started doing stand-up comedy um, before the Israel trip and when I got back. So he noticed me in a crowd, and he... um, he wanted to sign me. So I told him that I was keeping Shabbos, and he was really excited about me. And he said, I know what Shabbat is. I'm, I'm Jewish, too. So it'll still work. But I eat bacon. And I was like, I don't know what that means. Um, that was like his way of saying, we're, we're, the same, we're on the same page. So I said, okay, whatever. He's accepting me to not work from Fridays to Saturday nights. Great. This is going to work. I'm going to be the first from actress in Hollywood. And this was during the fall time um, period. And he, um, basically the, the Chagim were coming up, like all the Yantavs were coming up, Sukkis, Shemini Atzeret. And I went in for my next meeting, and I was so nervous because I had just taken on keeping the Yantavs also. I was growing, like constantly growing on a daily basis, and I didn't know half of these hugs because I didn't grow up with them. I just knew Yom Kippur and Rosh Hashanah. I did circus. I didn't know it was a yontif. And I went in, and I, I told him um, I didn't want to scare him. So I just said, I just need the whole month of October off because I didn't want to say I need this day off and that day off and then include the Shabbos because I, I felt like he just wasn't going to buy it. And he said, okay, and he gave it to me, and I was shocked. Like, no matter what I asked for, it was working out. I was going to be, like, the first from actress in Hollywood. And as I was growing, I started getting sent on auditions for inappropriate roles, and I started to feel uncomfortable, but these are things that, like, I was comfortable going on before, and I just started noticing, like, why am I so uncomfortable um, doing this? And I had, like, roles offered to me, and they were just, like, completely not sneeze, and there were ways where I tried to see if I could do it in a sneeze way, and I was turned down completely, because that's not what sells, and unfortunately, that's that's what... um, Hollywood needs to live off of. That's that's what it is. So that's the name of the game. Um, I told my manager I um, I was going on auditions and I really wasn't going on them. And so I started to lie and I felt very uncomfortable. So finally I like mustered up the strength to tell him I will not touch the opposite sex. And he was, again, okay with it. It was quite shocking. He said, okay, um, I have a a, a Christian client, and he does the same thing, and it still works. So I said, oh, wow. So now it's coming down to the point where, like, this is going to be my decision. Um, He told me in that conversation that this was not going to be a career anymore, though. It was going to be a hobby. And in a way, it crushed me. But it also led me down the right path to realize I have a weight on my shoulders. There are things that I'm not willing to do, and I know eventually it's gonna, it's going to bite me. I have to do these things to fit into Hollywood, unfortunately. So, um, slowly but surely, 
I realized it wasn't going to work out, and I had been on this journey growing spiritually, and there was nothing spiritual about Hollywood. Everybody who's at the top um, is unhappy, and everyone who's at the bottom wants to be at the top. And eventually, like, with age, everybody dies out. So you're, you're hired at breakfast, and you're fired at lunch. It's a famous saying in Hollywood. Oh my goodness! Um, it's not you know, I'm looking at the clock right now, um, Ness and Ari, and I think that we actually have more um, more to hear from you. And but we're out of time, and I'm wondering if we can bring you back for another show so that we can finish this journey. Can can we uh, get you back again, and we're going to do another segment? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. We'd okay. Thank you. Okay. So we're we're going to leave you on a cliffhanger right now. So so you get hired at breakfast and fired at lunch in Hollywood. Um, that is where Ness has left us in terms of our acting career. We're waiting to hear what happened to Ari's and what they're doing since their uh, Chuva journey. Um, thank you both for joining us today. We're going to have you back on next week. Thank you. Thank you so and much. Thank you all for listening. Um, this is a to-be-continued cliffhanger episode of Jew in the City Speaks, and you can catch us same time, same place next week. Bye-bye. <laughs>